All right, let's pray. Avinu Makenu, our Father, our King. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word and giving us your word. And more than anything, we thank you for the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, which teaches us and leads us into truth on all things. Now, last week, we got into chapter 7. And we didn't quite finish it, chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. So we're going to try to finish it up today. Uh, and then we'll see where the Lord wants to go from there. But the main thrust of chapter 7 is about this figure, this name, this priesthood, this priesthood under the order of Melchizedek. This, this, this priesthood that, that is of a greater weight of glory than the Levitical priesthood that was established under Moses. And so that's the context, context in which we're coming in that the writer of the book of Hebrews, and you guys are going to know this because I know I keep saying it every Shabbat, the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote this letter to encourage Jewish believers who were going through persecution for believing in Yeshua, and because of that persecution as it became too much, began to wonder, should they go look for someone else? And now you may think, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that. You'd be surprised the number of people who still are being persecuted for believing in Yeshua and thinking maybe this is not worth it. Maybe, maybe I'm being persecuted because I'm believing in Yeshua. I wasn't being persecuted before, and now I believe in Yeshua, and now things are happening in my life that's not good. And it doesn't even have to be on the issue of, of Jewish things. You, you could be a, just a, a Gentile who's embraced the Messiah, and all hell breaks out in your life. I mean, you have peace inside, but outside, you know, everybody's angry with you, what you're doing, things are going wrong. Those, that group you used to hang with, they're not calling you anymore, they're cutting you off, and you're going like, hold it. You know, before I embraced Jesus, my life was a certain way, and I, I, nothing bad was going on in overall. It seemed like things were going well, but once I embraced them, man, all kind of crazy stuff's coming my way. And so you might think, maybe I should go back to what I did before. Well, the answer is, of course, not to go back. But let's not discount the reality that people do feel that. I mean, come on, think about it. And I use this because it's in Scripture over and over again. But think about John the baptizer. I mean, this is the guy who gets revelation directly from God that Yeshua is the Messiah, that Yeshua is the Lamb of God. He gets it from heaven. He didn't get it, somebody preached it to him. It came straight as revelation by the Spirit of God. He's the one that says, whoa, look at this guy. He's the one that when Yeshua shows up, he says, I'm not even worthy to baptize you. I, I'm not even worthy to wear your sandals. I, I'm not even worthy to be in, in the same league with you. This guy, you know, he's pointing to Yeshua. Behold, the Lamb of God. The one who pays for your sins, the one who's slain from the foundation of the earth, he has this revelation. And then after that happens, I mean, think about it. He had a growing ministry. His ministry is growing leaps and bounds. People are coming out in the wilderness to be baptized by him. That's how great his ministry. They weren't ready for, waiting for him to come into the city. They were going out to him. He's baptizing out there. So they were going out in the desert to be baptized. Finding the waterways that are out there and like they're coming out. His ministry's growing. It's getting bigger. It's getting bigger. The king is kind of upset with him because he preached against the immorality of some of the things the king was doing. Of unlawfully the wife that he had. And it just, it's just his ministry is expanding. Then Yeshua comes on the scene. He gets the revelation. He sees the Spirit of God comes down like a dove. He hears the voice that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the Messiah himself that he's putting under the water. What a deal. I mean, come on. This vindicates your whole ministry. And then after that, he gets arrested and thrown into a dungeon. And they're not like jails today in America. There are other countries that might come close to what the dungeons were like there, but in America, the jails here are nowhere even close to it. You, didn't, you couldn't declare three meals a day and rights to the legal library to fight your case. You didn't get any of that. They just threw you in a hole in the ground. And if you didn't have those on the outside to bring you food, you starved. The only other companions you may have are the other prisoners and the rats that were in your dungeon with you. 
And so you can imagine John down there thinking, man, I had a growing ministry. It was expanding. People were coming from all over. Even the Pharisees came to be baptized by me. I got the revelation from God. I'm in this dungeon. And as time went on, and he's looking at the dungeon and his circumstances, he begins to wonder, maybe I missed it. Maybe I didn't have that experience with the Holy Spirit. Maybe something else happened. Maybe, I don't know. Now, he still had a few faithful disciples who were probably the ones bringing him food. And that was dangerous because they could get arrested too and thrown in dungeon. It wasn't an easy deal. But they were faithful to, to serve him. And they came and he says, look, guys, I need you to do me a favor. Go find Yeshua. I heard he's ministering somewhere nearby. And go ask him, are you the one or should we seek for another? How, you know, you read that and you go, how could John come to that point? When was the last time you were put in a dungeon after preaching the gospel and everybody forsakes you? And you know that the thing that's on the pallet is your head being chopped off, being put to death. But that's what he was experiencing. And so at that moment, he, his faith is weakening. He's starting to question, did he follow the right way? But when he gets to Yeshua, disciples get to Yeshua, his disciples. And they come up and they're waiting. They see that Yeshua is ministering. And at that moment, Yeshua is doing all kinds of things. He's casting out demons. People who can't walk are getting their legs back and they're lame, they're walking. Blind eyes are being opened. Diseases are being healed. And he, they come up. I imagine them waiting with the crowd because it wasn't like a few people. There's a crowd around. They got to push through the crowd. And there's Yeshua in the midst of this crowd doing all his ministry and healing. And they got this question. Are you the one or should we seek after another? Now, I got my imagination and you got yours. So don't get mad at my imagination how I see this. After they see all these miracles and things going on, they are really afraid to ask Yeshua the question. In my mind, they're going, Mr. Yeshua, can I, we can, well, it's really not us. Uh, you, you know, John, he's your cousin and everything. You're related. It, it's him. You know, he, yeah, he gets sometimes. He, he, he sent us out to ask you a question. Are you the one? Or should we seek for another? And maybe about that time, because the scripture says at that time he did miracles, he said, hold on a second, that question. And he turns to some demon-possessed person. says, come out. Bam. Out it comes. And he turns over to somebody who can't see. Receive your sight. Bam. Receive the sight. Then he turns back to them and said, now, what was the question? Go tell John what you have seen here. Go tell him that the blind's eyes are being opened, that the lame are walking. Tell them what's going on here, that the poor are having the good news preached to them. Lives are being restored. People are being turned around and coming and repenting of their sins and coming out of wickedness and coming to righteousness. Tell him and then also say to him, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Yeshua pointed him back to the word of God because that was out of Isaiah. That one of the things that the Messiah would do by his spirit is that he would come in a ministry of healing the sick and, and, and great things. The spirit of the Lord would be upon him and he would do great things. So he pointed him back to the word of God and then also gave him an exhortation. Don't be offended. John, don't, don't, you know, the route you're going is the way you're going. Some people will be martyred for Yeshua. Now, I wouldn't want anybody in this room to have to be martyred, but I don't know what the future holds. We all might be martyred for the Yeshua someday. We just don't know. So we need to settle right now while we're in the light that if darkness comes upon us, 
We've settled in our hearts that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And we need to settle that in our hearts no matter what the future brings. If you get blessings, that you're still in Yeshua. If hell breaks out against you, you're still in Yeshua. I'm going to tell you something. The longer you live in this world, the more wickedness you will see. But also you'll see good. You'll see good in the midst of the wicked. you see how God moves and protects and operates and does all kind of things. So let's not be so hard on those that the book of Hebrews was written to. Because we really can't fully imagine what they were going through for following after Yeshua. We really can't fully grasp, especially us. I mean, let's just face it. In America, we got it pretty good. We got a good deal here. I mean... You know, yeah, some of us can tell testimonies of, you know, friends rejecting you. I went through that. People cut me off. You know, I've had a few things to happen as a believer. I've had things thrown at me. I've been spat on as a believer out preaching. I've seen a few things. Nowhere touches what was going through those guys in the book of Hebrews. No one here. So I'm not so hard on them. But nevertheless, the writer knows they need to be encouraged. And so he encouraged them, and, 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 and if you could sum up the book of Hebrews. And somebody said, Ralph, sum it up in one little statement. It's simply this. Yeshua is of a greater weight of glory than anything that God has ever done in history and is doing today. That's it. If you get that, you got the book of Hebrews. Because that's what it's really all about. It's about taking a bunch of Jewish people who were called to, to be that remnant and they were going through persecution and they were starting to question not whether or not Yeshua is the Messiah that the writer says, okay, guys, Yeshua is of greater weight of glory. You listen to the prophets, how much more should you listen to the Son of God? You listen to the angels, how much more should you listen to the ones that the angels bow down and worship? How much should you listen to the one that, that is the express image of God, of the Father, the, the one who brings forth the glory of God? How much more should you listen to him? You listen to Moses. You know Moses, the law, great law keeper man. I mean, you can't find a law keeper better than Moses who brings the law. That's the, the great lawgiver. This, 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 this guy is great. He was faithful in the house of the Lord. But Yeshua is the house. He owns it. It's his. He's the son. He's the heir. How much more should you listen to him? Oh, you know the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. What a great priesthood. I mean, I'm so thankful for the Levitical priesthood. Somebody that's represent you before God. I mean, the children of Israel long ago, when they saw that cloud, that mountain full of smoke and fire bellowing up, and then they heard God's thundering voice, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. They went, oh my. Some of you might remember growing up as a kid watching The Wizard of Oz, the original one. And you might remember the cowardly line. They're all in there before the whiz. And then the whiz is speaking. Fire's going out. And that lion just took off and just ran and jumped out of the window. Never forget that scene. But that's what the children of Israel like. And now we sit here today. I just can't believe they did that. When's the last time you saw a whole mountain full of fire and smoke and flames going up and all of a sudden a voice comes out thundering from it. I am the Lord your God. Oh my goodness. You'll be like, oh man, I am undone. I am surely undone. The creator of the universe is speaking to me with thundering voice and loud. The Holy One of Israel is speaking to me. You would run and jump out the window too. But the people there just says, hey, Moses, here's the deal. You go talk to God. We're going to go over here, <laughs> and you bring the message back to us. We don't want to deal with him face to face. Moses, the lawgiver, and yet, here's Yeshua. The very son of the living God has come down to speak. Oh, my goodness. 
way. It's one thing having Moses, but now we got the son of the living God speaking to us. Greater weight of glory. How much more should we listen to him? The priests had to be replaced. The high priest didn't continue on forever. He would die. He didn't live forever. And though we're glad we have the high priest to go before us, because if we try to go in the Holy of Holies, we get struck dead. So I'm thankful for the priesthood. But yet, and I see him getting ready to go in, he doesn't just go in on his own. He's got to sacrifice an animal for himself. Why? Because he carries the same sins and troubles that I have, and yet he stumbles. He's not without sin. But yet I'm looking to him to be the one to go in at Yom Kippur for me. I'm ready to commit to that. How much more when I see Yeshua coming in the priesthood that's eternal and forever? The priesthood of Melchizedek, that he comes up and he goes in not with a, a goat or a lamb or a bull, but he goes in with his own blood to put on the altar. And that he is raised up from the dead to live forever and ever and ever. There's no more death here. He is forever able to intercede for us 24-7, 365. He can be before the Father. And we are, he's a perfect, perfect sacrifice and a perfect priest. He represents you perfectly. How much more knowing that that you would even think to go back to what you had before? Strong words. And so that's what we were looking at, the seventh chapter, because, you know, we looked last week that four, five, and six was a detour when he first tried to introduce the whole thing of Melchizedek, and he just says, you guys can't handle it because you're not walking out the practicalness of what, what God wants you to do by your actions. So he takes a detour, and he does all this stuff, warnings and strong warnings about not being able to be renewed again and all kind of good, strong stuff. And then he goes, but I think better things of you. I think God's going, he's working in you. I'm, I'm confident. And then he comes back to the whole thing about Melchizedek. And that's where we left off last week. Let's see if we can finish it up. One of the things we pointed out, and you can read this through verse 4 through 10. We talked about this last time, so I'll very quickly say it. You know, he makes the, the writer says, look, we know how important Abraham is. He's God's dude. He's the man. He's got the covenant. He's got the relationship. God didn't pick everybody and anybody. He comes to Abraham. Why? I don't know. I don't need to know. He's done it. I don't want to spend my whole life trying to figure out why he picked out Abraham. He did it. So get on with the plan, right? And yet Abraham, the God's man, the special man, the one who is called by God, the one that God calls friend, the one that would not even take part of the kings that helped him that in the war when they went to deliver Lot and they wanted to share in it. He says, no, 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 no. I won't share anything with you lest you say you made me wealthy. No. But then this one king comes out of the blue, Melchizedek, this king of righteousness. This king shows up and when he shows up, Abraham acts totally different than how he acted with those other kings. He takes a tenth, he ties a tenth of all he had to this king. He submits himself to this king. You're going like, hold it, this is, this is deep. Who's this guy anyway, this Melchizedek that comes out of the blue? You know, he's just all of a sudden, boom, there's this guy here. And, you know, and Abraham is humbling himself before him. I don't know about you, but it would get my attention. I mean, imagine if your, your father was like CEO of a major corporation. And all your life you grew up where everybody's saying Mr. to your father. Then when your father walks in the room, oh, sir, can I do anything for you? Mr. So-and-so. And everybody's always catering. And you grew up seeing this all your life. And imagine all of a sudden one day the doors open up. And all these people are serving your father as they've did. And all of a sudden, this guy walks in, and immediately, your father steps down off of his chair and runs up to some guy 
and bows to him or says, hey, wow, I'm, come up here, man. Uh, everybody listen to him. I would be going, who's this guy? Where did he come from? I've never seen him before. But he seems important. If my father, who everybody caters to, is bending the knee to him, I better listen. This guy must be really important. Well, it's the same thing with Melchizedek. And so the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear. I'm going to read this very quickly. Verse 4. Now, considering how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receives tithes, but there he receives them, of whom is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still on the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So a greater weight of glory, a greater weight of calling. And he's trying to encourage these Jewish believers, look, guys, you know how important Abraham is. You know how important the Levitical priesthood is. But understand that both of them are submitting to this one called Melchizedek who comes on the scene, that they're looking to him, who comes before even the Levitical priesthood is put into action. This guy's already walking around as a priest of the Most High God. And Abraham submits to him. And then he makes the connection. Later on, he's going to tell us that this Melchizedek This order, Yeshua comes under the same order, of the same call. How much more? If Abraham's been in the knee to him, if Levi's been in the knee to him, why would you think in your head to go back to something where the very people you're going back to are bending the knee to the one you're walking away from? You don't do that. You stay the course. Verse 11, therefore, perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, the Torah. What further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? If the Levitical priesthood was all that and some, why you need to come later on and start talking about this other priest rising up? Why are you doing that? What's that all about? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. We do need to understand that there has been a change going from the Mosaic law to the new covenant. Now, I know because of our movement and we want to be very zealous that we are very positive about Torah, which we are, that we don't think the law is bad, we think the law is good. As Paul says about the commandments, they're holy, they're just, they're good. That's what we believe in the Messianic movement. But some of us in a zeal to want to defend that almost want to make it sound like that the new covenant is no different from the Mosaic covenant. So we play with words. Oh, it's a newer covenant. It's... It's like the new moon recycling over. It's the same one coming back again, really. Then why does it say in Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and Judah, lo, not like the one I made with them when I brought them out of Egypt. Which one did he make with them when he brought them out of Egypt? Was it the Noahic covenant he brought them out of Egypt? Nah, not that one. Abrahamic covenant? Nah, not that one either. It's the Mosaic Covenant. It's not even the Davidic Covenant. There are promises God made today. There are lots of covenants in the Tanakh, lots of them. People think it's just two covenants, and it's not the case. But the Mosaic Covenant is the one he made coming out, and inside that covenant, it tells you how the covenant works. It tells you about the priesthood. This is how the priesthood's going to work. This is how we're going to establish things. This is how we're going to work, this, that, and the other, and the people broke it. Now, when you break a covenant, 
The other side gets to decide what to do from it from that point on. Now, sometimes they write it already in there. You know, how many have bought a car in the last 10 years? Did you read the paperwork? Sometimes you probably didn't. You're so excited by the new car smell that made your brain go crazy. I want the car now. That new car smell, and you just get the car, but you don't take the time to read. I, I think one time I bought my first car, I read every line. Since then, I don't. I really don't. It's like, what's the bottom line? What I got to write? How much money I need to give you? You know? It's just like when you load software off the internet. You just, yeah, 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 I agree with that. Didn't know you just gave two of your children away in the agreement, but that's okay. You wanted, you wanted the latest Microsoft Word, so you just, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that agreement. The detail says, you just gave two of your children to us. Well, when, they, when you have that agreement, they can decide what to do. They can say, well, you know, look, if you just catch up with your payments, we'll keep the same old covenant in place just like it was. You just owe us, you know, this much money, you owe us extra $1,000, and if you would pay that, we'll just act like it never happened. Or they could say, you know what? We want our car back. <laughs> and they hire this person called the repo man to go hunt you down and find your car to get their car back. No, I know you thought that they're trying to take your car, but it's not your car. It still belongs to people that you made the deal with that you're going to pay a certain amount of money over a period of time. Until you complete that, it's their car, not yours. They're just letting you drive it. Even the title's not in your name yet. Belongs to whoever you got it from. And they could at some point say, we want a car back. Either pay us all the money right now or give us the car back. Or in some cases, they sit down and renegotiate the loan. They'll say, look, we're going to tear this one up and we're going to make a new one with you, stretch it out, get a lower interest rate, or, or things. There are lots of things you can do. So when the children of Israel broke the covenant, God gets to decide what to do with that point on. He could, and he's done this before, when the temple was destroyed the first time and they came back, he just reestablished the same old covenant. Same old one to say, all right, here's the Torah scroll, guys. There you go. Come on, start the sacrifices. Start bringing up the animals. Get the priesthood back in order. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But with the coming of Yeshua, something happens that has to do with the priesthood. Because it had been proven over and over again that the slaying of animals did not take away sin. It could cover over, but it didn't set you free. It didn't change you from the inside. And the priest, who did a great job, yet he himself had to have a sacrifice, and he died. So you woke up one year, and it's Yom Kippur, and the priest is dead. Oh, ha, ha, what are we going to do? David, could you go into the most holy place this year for us? No? <laughs> So God, in his infinite wisdom, plans to enter to this universe through his son to bring an atoning sacrifice that not only will cover your sins over, but will cleanse you and make you a new person. And he takes his Torah, he doesn't cast it aside, but he says, you know what? I'm going to put it in you. That's the, new, that's the new deal. I'm not doing the same one because they ain't, they ain't working so well. Not because of me. My law is good. My commandment's good. It's you folks that got the problem because of the weakness of sin in your flesh and all of that. You just can't do what's right and you just keep falling in sin and it overcomes you. And by the way, I knew this was going to happen. So I, I designed the whole system to be a shadow and type of what I was going to come at the point in time that I was going to establish. He knew this ahead of time. Why? Well, because the scripture says Yeshua is the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. God already knew. Like, oh, yeah, we have to shed some blood here. And we got to bring the people up in faith in this thing. So we'll use animals along the way. We'll teach them about blood atonement and sacrifice, and they'll learn all about it, and they'll identify with it. But the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But when my son comes, who is perfect in every way, who's of a greater weight of glory than anything before. When he comes, not only will he pay the penalty for your sins, but he will release the power that the very power of sin will be broken in your life and you will come into newness of life. 
He will come under the order of Melchizedek. A priesthood that doesn't come to an end. It's not an earthly one. It's a heavenly one. It deals with heavenly things that break into this world that's temporal. See, the spiritual world is the real world. Let me say it again. The spiritual world is the real world. So we think differently because all the movies we watch, the spirit world is full of ghosts and phantoms and things like that. And so we think the spirit world is not like the real world. We think this world is the real world. No, no, no. The spirit world is of a higher order. It's the real world. Why do you think God's going to transform this world? He's not transforming the spiritual world. The kingdom of God comes out of the spirit realm and breaks into this world. And whenever you see a healing or a change, it's just the spirit world making itself known in the physical world. That's all it is. There's no mystery about it. Whenever somebody's sick and miraculously gets healed, it's just the spirit world going, <laughs> just a little touch. Bam, up. We get all excited. Yeah, great. You know, that's all it is. But the good news, we only see this kingdom in a measure right now, but ultimately, God's kingdom's going to come in its fullness and take over the whole earth. And nothing that is wicked and evil when it's all said and done at the very end of the book will be in there. It will be all holy and just and righteous and good, and nothing wicked will remain anymore. There'll be no sickness, no more disease, none of that. Everything will be made whole because the spirit realm has broken into the physical. Spirit world's the real world. This is a temporary journey. We're not here forever. I can't imagine being here for a thousand years the way it is. That would get miserable. That'd be misery. <laughs> I want to see the kingdom break in more. More healing, more power, more lives being saved, more people repenting of their sin. That's the, that's the real world. That's where God dwells. That's where his presence is coming into this world. Thank you, Father. So there is a change, and over the weeks we'll hear more about it. The real change is the change in the priesthood. It's not that God, God did not throw away thou shalt not murder. God did not throw away thou shalt not worship any other gods. All those things are still in place. Even Shabbat will be in the things of the world to come. It points to the world to come. It's a shadow of even the fullness of what's about to come into this world. The fullness of God's rest. He doesn't cast these things aside. They're put inside of you, in your mind, in your heart. But there's a change in the priesthood. And because of that, the change in the law of how things are done. See, before, if you committed certain sins, you better hunt down a Levite to go before you. And you better get tickets to Jerusalem, go find the temple, and find a priest who's willing to go in and offer up the appropriate sacrifices as you lay your hands on the animal. That's what the Torah required under the Mosaic covenant. But under the new covenant, that's not what God calls for. In the new covenant, God says, no, 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 no. I'm moving beyond animals. I hope y'all learned your lesson about the animals, but the time has come to get you to fully understand what I was doing. It's not about the animals. We're talking about eternal blood of the son of the living God being put on an altar for you so that there's a cleansing. And he is 24-7, 365, interceding for you all the time. So that if you sin, and I do say if, not when, if you sin, you don't have to go run around trying to find a high priest. Where is he? Where is he today? Where is he? Well, he's right there already. Even before you open up your mouth, he's already before the Father. He's already interceding. He's already, look, your case has come up. And he's like, okay. Bill's here again. <laughs> and they're ready to destroy him. But he says, no, 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 he's mine. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe. But I have spoken it. And what I said about Bill will come to pass. The seed I planted, it's good. And I'm watching over it. It's going to come forth. And it's going to bring forth fruit. 
And you're going to see Bill change from day to day to day. And the newness of life begin to come in him. And the fullness of the new covenant started to come in his life. And he's going to be a different person. So that's the promise. That's why it's built on a better covenant, better promises. We're not depending upon the blood of bulls and goats or a priest who dies every year. We're looking at the one who's eternal that lives forever. Who for once for all was sacrificed for our sins. That's the one that we look to. And we're not ashamed of that. Never let anybody make you feel bad that you're depending upon the blood of Jesus being shed for you. That's your salvation. Never let anybody make you feel bad about that. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah. It is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We should never be ashamed of that. We should gird up our lords and say, it's a greater way to glory. We should be excited. I think one of the reasons why we may have lost the power of evangelism and outreach is that we're not as excited about what has happened to us as we used to be. Maybe we've been smacked down so many times that you just want to be quiet about it, secretly be a believer. I know a guy who did that. He just couldn't take it anymore, so he says he still believes, but he, he just went in. He's right in the middle of the Orthodox community, withdrew from everybody, cut off all of us. Only friend he kept in contact with that, that my wife and I knew was a guy who wasn't part of the Messianic world. He didn't want the, the, the group he's hanging out with to know that he was connected to. He's a Jewish guy, connected to any Jewish ministry for Yeshua, for Jesus. He didn't mind having a few Christian friends in his life. He said, because they could accept that. Well, you know, you got to have, you got to deal with them sometime. But he, he just went in. It's really sad. He's had a lot to bring to the kingdom. But sometimes we do get smacked down. But that's why the book of Hebrews is here. It's to encourage you again. Get you to look up and say, hold it. Greater way to glory. Elaine, a greater way to Glory. In the Messiah, in Yeshua, he goes on, verse 13, for he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. Moses didn't say, oh yeah, and the, Judah would be the priesthood, and they can, no, 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 no. Now, as I said, and I don't want to go down this too much because I really don't like genealogy things. Maybe because the scripture says avoid foolish genealogies. I don't know. Or maybe I just can't grasp all the connections and all that. I do stop to, to go through numbers. I do read every name. I'm not one of those that flips the pages to get to the good stuff. I have found out there's lots of wisdom in each one of those names. And you see the flow. But it does stretch me there, because that's just not, I mean, I'm ready, like, okay, let's just skip, 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 skip. All right, good, here's a good story. Now I've learned to settle there. Well, there are some people, and I said in the body of Messiah, you know, there's always something in the body of Messiah where we're arguing over something. And that's okay. Paul the Apostle says that there would be fights and arguments and even heresy coming up, so those who are the truth will come forth, he says in Corinthians. So God kind of uses it, and he doesn't make us little robots. He wants us to think. He wants us to reason. He wants us to fellowship with him and have understanding. So we're, so we're not going to, even if I gave out papers now, I would guarantee you, even, even people I've walked with for many, many years, I, 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 I would be surprised if we were 100% in agreement on every little issue. I've known a lot of believers over the years, and I have good, close relationship with some. And as always, if I talk long enough, we talk some, we might find one little area where we differ a little bit. Now, I have to say with Marcellus, I'm still trying to find that area. I, I'm amazed at how much we track together on so many things. I, wouldn't, I don't even teach on a subject, and I talk to him and ask him what he thinks. But I'm like, wow, you've been reading my notes. But I'm sure if I press it enough, I can find something Ralph, I think it was a darker shade of blue and not, not the color blue you thought. Man, that'll be it. That'll be on the level. Something that we could agree to disagree and go our separate ways on that. So the Bible society always has these things. And this is one of the issues that people have taken a look at Scripture. And they say, well, you know, you know, Yeshua really was a Levite. Some of you in here might believe that. 
and some of you don't. Well, we know that the Lord is supposed to spring out of Judah. First of all, because it says it right here in Hebrews. It also says in Genesis 49, 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff, the lawgiver, from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, until Shallow comes, and the obedience of the nation shall be his, and to him shall be the gathering of the people be. This has always been understood as a prophecy concerning that, that the Messiah will rise out of Judah. Revelation 5, 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see, the line of the tribe of Levi, and I'm sorry, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Isaiah 11.1 speaks about, it's interesting to use the word that he will spring out. The, the, the word behind it is like a branch, something that grows up. And it's interesting in Isaiah 11 that it says, Behold, a branch shall come forth out of Jesse, and he shall reign over all the earth. That's right. <laughs> this branch in 1110 says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Isaiah 53, 2, when it speaks of the suffering Messiah, says, for he grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He is the branch. He is from Judah. So how do we move on to this preposition or this, this view, this, this proposition, this view about Levi? Here's how it comes about. In Luke 1, 5, it says that Zechariah, John's father, was of the division of Abiah. He was a Levite. In Luke 1, 5, it also says that his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant or daughter of Aaron. So she was a Levite. In Luke 1, 36, the angel that was talking to Mary says that Elizabeth is her relative. Now, if you read King James, it might say cousin, and some other translations say cousin. But the Greek word underneath does not mean cousin. That's not what it means. It means a kinsman. They are related. But people jump and hear that. They say, well, if Elizabeth's related and she's a Levite and they're related, then she must be a Levite too. So Joseph is from Judah, and Mary, Miriam, is from Levi. And then out of that, they say, therefore, Yeshua also has the ancestry back to Levi. And that's how people run with that. And then at that point, you know, it's like two dogs growling at each other. You throw a rock in between, and they start fighting. That's a country boy thing. Those from the country know about that. And that's what happens in the body of Messiah. And everybody draws sides and... Some get to very extreme, you're not really saved because you believe this, you got it wrong, and they write whole books and they condemn whole bodies over this thing. And at that point, I go, avoid foolish genealogies. I don't want to go there. I don't want to get into it. He's the Messiah. That's all I need to know. Well, the obvious question centers around the use of the word for relative. In what way was Mary related to Elizabeth. Was she a cousin? Was a great aunt? Scriptures don't say. And here's some of the things. People say, well, why couldn't she be from, not from Levi? But how, how, do, how does this all work? Some will say, well, you weren't allowed to, you can only marry within your tribe. And the Levites can only marry other Levites. Well, that too is debatable because that's not what Scripture says. The scripture when it speaks of the Cohen, it says, you are to not marry someone who's not a virgin, not marry someone who's not been married, and it's only talking about 
not just the general Cohen, but the Cohen Gadol, the high priest. Go look at the context. It's always saying, this is for the high priest. Guess what? Every Cohen was not a high priest. Only certain ones. And they had to come from a certain line themselves. You could be a Levite, but not be of that order that becomes the high priest. So the verse that people are looking at concerning that, which is Leviticus 21, 10 through 14, is referring to the high priest. And then it has a verse at the end, verse 14, that says, he can only marry his people. And here's the question. Who are his people? Is it meaning other Kohenim? Or does it mean of Israel? Could you marry, if you were a Levite, could you marry a non-Levite? Well, I got an answer for that. All you have to do is read Exodus 6.23. Aaron marries Elishaba, which is the way of saying Elizabeth, and she is the daughter of Amenadab, and he was a descendant of Judah. Aaron's wife was from Judah. <laughs> that settles it. I don't, like, I don't go too deep into genealogy, just enough to see, okay, Aaron married. Aaron from the tribe of Levi married a woman who's from the tribe of Judah. Now, it was customary that they tracked what tribe you belong through, to the father. But from a genealogy perspective, his wife was not a Levite. His wife was from Judah. This is technical stuff. We gotta deal with it a little bit. I'm sorry, Lynn, we're just a little bit, we'll just deal with it. Hang in there. I just like to pick on her, she's, she's loving it. Some of you are going, yes, I'm loving it. Let's get really into this. Let's do it. Let's bring out all our translations and all that. And I'm like, then you lose me because that'd be just too much. The thing is, according to most historians, it wasn't uncommon for Levites, who had no inheritance of their own, obviously, that when they were looking for a wife, they didn't always marry another Levite. They could marry from the other tribes. And that person came in would lose whatever inheritance directly and come in and take the Levitical order. And there's enough history to show that. Even in the Tanakh, you can find examples of that. That's what happened. So here's the thing. What about Mary? Because that's what we're really getting to. What about Miriam? It's an interesting thing. But one of the Persian translations of this verse doesn't say relative. I found this interesting. You know what it says? It uses this phrase, the aunt by the mother's side. That's what it says. This is a Persian translation. Or they had it. And, you know, if those of you are familiar with that, there can be some variations of understanding and difference between those that come from that Persian tradition versus those who don't. You see that sometimes the Aramaic and things of that nature. And that's what we're getting into. And they say the aunt by the mother's side, they understood that even though Zechariah was a Levite and his wife was a Levite, what about his wife, Elizabeth? What about Elizabeth's mother? What was she? Well, she had to be a Levite. No. Her father could have been a Levite, and the wife, her grandmother, could have been from Judah. And Mary was related to who? The aunt. She was the aunt, according to the Persian thing, the aunt by her mother's side. So that even relationship-wise, Mary's descendancy did not go back to Levi, but through Judah. And it's known that her, they, they, their others, they weren't sure about the fathers. A lot doesn't say about who Mary's people were. You got to kind of defer it. But I'm not going to spend too much time on that, except to say that the book of Hebrews makes it very clear whether by biology or by legal right, because you could have the genetic route but may not have the legal right, that Yeshua could not serve 
in the Levitical priesthood. That's the bottom line. And the writer then understood that. And for the first couple hundred years of, of the, the world of Christianity, they believed that. It was later that people began to present these other ideas and it got popular and, and it's popular once again. But it says here in the book of Hebrews, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And is yet more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Let's not get hung up on these technicalities of, well, we think possibly, maybe, doesn't say exactly so, that, that maybe Mary was a Levite and from this, that, and the other, when there, there are ways to say, no, she was not. There's writings to say that she was not, and there are others who say that she was. But let's not miss the point here. The writer of Hebrews was fully convinced that Yeshua could not serve under the Levitical priesthood, that he came out of Judah. In fact, one of the things said to Mary concerning, when the angel spoke concerning Luke 1.32, and telling her what's going to happen concerning the seed that's going to come forth from her, says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The emphasis is on Judah. The emphasis is on David. We don't see, we don't see uh, Mary going, hold it, but I'm a Levite. We don't see those type of things. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. I'll leave it for people to argue at, at Ralph's Torah study. It is yet far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek that rises another priest who came not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a nulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through, whom, through which we draw near to God. There is a change. And how are you getting atoned for it? Do you understand that in the new covenant? We're not trying to resurrect the Mosaic covenant. If we were, we all would have to get on planes and go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, find the priesthood, and guess what, Goyim, you will be on the outer courts. No more going into the most holy place for you. But in the new covenant, the doors have been opened. The gates have been opened that you who are far off have now been brought near, that you can go into the most holy place in the presence of God. You, those who were once not considered part of God's people, have now been made very much a part of his very household. This comes with Yeshua. Apart from Yeshua, this does not happen. You need Yeshua in that mix for it to happen. And as much as he was made a priest without an oath, verse 20, for they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Yeshua has become a surety of a better covenant. Don't let a little persecution make you turn and change your mind. In Yeshua, it's a better covenant. A better covenant. I thought the Mosaic covenant was pretty good. But this is better. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. That's the nature of the, within the Mosaic covenant. The Levitical priesthood that established for it there would be many priests because they couldn't continue making atonement for you. But he, he, but he, Yeshua, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Oh, my goodness. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah, let that sink in. So I don't think we always let that sink in. He's making intercession for you always. 
He's making intercession for you always. Always. Yeshua is making intercession for you. Always. 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 He doesn't sleep in on, on the day before Veterans Day because it's a holiday. I slept in a little bit. But he was busy making intercession for me. Yes, he did it for you guys too. But I know he did it for me. And especially for my wife. She's, she's got a special thing with the Lord. I can't, I, it's hard for me to break to her that we all have that same special thing, but that's okay. That's okay. It goes on and says, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. It's done, folks. It's a done deal. He's paid the penalty for you. You can come before the Father through his throne without any shame or feeling guilty. You can come before him boldly, the scripture says, to come to the throne of his grace. Boldly you are to come. Not coming in, Mr. God, can I ask you something? I'm going through a rough time, Mr. God, can you help me out? No, it says you go to the throne crying, Abba. Father, I have never seen a child who wants to get hold of their mama or their daddy, and they come in, they will push you out of the way. They're like, Mom, Dad, and they push you out of the way, and that's it. They climb up. They're not going, Mr. Father, Miss Mom, can I come close to you? I want my mommy, and I want her now. Come on now. Boldly. Gene. Crying out, Abba, Father. Crying, Abba. Father. <laughs> crying out, Abba, Father. Is that your understanding of your relationship to the creator of the universe? That he's your Abba? He's your Abba? He's your daddy? You can come to him? And he's got lots of grace on that throne. He never runs out of it. It's amazing grace. It just goes on forever and ever and ever, and it's there for you to receive. Oh, thank you, Abba. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, see, God made a promise that he would do certain things, and he swore. First of all, his promise would have been good enough. I'm going to do this because God sent a man that he should lie. But he adds on to it an oath. He gives you the counsel of his word. Hilton, this is what I'm going to do, blah, 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 blah. And you go, good deal. You're like, that's good enough. You're ready to run with it, right? And all of a sudden, you see him walking away, he says, I'm going to swear about that. What? <laughs> God's swearing. It was good enough for him to say he's going to do it. It's a done deal right then. I'm running with it already. And he yells out to me, and I'm swearing by it, Ralph. What? What? You just said you, you swear an oath? You're promising that the word you just spoke to me will, be, will come to pass? Oh, my that's why, as I told one person years ago, he says, have you ever thought about going back to the life you had before? I said, why would I do that? I have nowhere else to go. He has messed me up for the rest of my life. He messed me up. I had lots of plans before. I had lots of paths to go down. Lots of ideas of how to live life. And then he grabs hold of me and he messes me up, Jasmine. He messed me up. 
I mean, I, I have nowhere else to go. This is it, folks. Yeshua, that's it. Yeshua or bust. That's it. I have nowhere else to go. Y'all can try to kick me out if you could. You can't because I have nowhere else to go. But the word of oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The son of the living God comes as your high priest, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own eternal blood, who is tempted in every way like we are, yet does not sin. He's a perfect sacrifice, complete. He understands our weaknesses because he's made in our likeness and image, and we can feel that, and we're made in his. So he can identify with us. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows that, but he overcame it. And he goes, and he becomes the atoning sacrifice for your sins so you won't have to bear your sins. Then the Father raises him up, and he raises himself up, and the Spirit raises him up, because it says, Scripture says, all three, Spirit will raise him up, Father will raise him up, I'll raise myself up. And he gets all raised up. He takes his place at the right hand of the Father, and he's there so all the enemies of the kingdom of God will be put under his feet. And when that is completed and done, he will then begin to reign over the whole earth. And in the meantime, he is working in you towards bringing his kingdom into this earth. You are an important part of his plan. He didn't save you just to take you up into heaven and put you on a cloud. He's got work for you to do now while you're here. To preach the word, to proclaim the goodness of God. To live a holy life, not because you're trying to walk your way and achieve heaven, but because he's already put heaven in you. He's already put his kingdom in you. And so you're not walking around. As I said before, I don't spend a lot of time dwelling on whether or not I'm going to fall away. I don't have time for that. Don't have time for that at all. I choose to believe what he says and to continue in that direction. Setting my eyes upon that which is above, looking at it, Yeshua, the author and finisher of my faith, walking towards him, growing towards him, and letting him live in me, his life, for the kingdom. I don't worry about death. I'll die when I die. That's when I know about it. And I won't leave this earth one second before the Lord wants me to. And I won't stay here one second before the Lord wants me to. I'm not worried about that anymore. There was a time I used to worry about all those things. Don't worry about that anymore. There's too much to do. And letting that kingdom live in our lives. This is what God wants to do. Worship team, return, please. This is what God wants to do. And he's given us Yeshua the order of Melchizedek. How dare you go back to try to use bulls and goats to get right before God? How dare you go back to your own righteousness to try to be right before God? What a, what a waste of time. When God has provided a salvation, a righteousness of a greater weight of glory, why look backwards? Keep going on with him. Stop trying to live the life you had before. See, that's one of the reasons why some believers don't find success in their walk. This is why they're still carrying the same sin for 15 years. Because they're still going back, trying to find a bull or gold or, or something like that, some ritual, something to light, something to do that I'm going to get free. When the reality is, if you've embraced Yeshua, you have been set free already. That's the reality. That's the truth of it. He said, well, brother, then why am I, why am I still doing all this thing? Because you had been deceived. You've been tricked. The devil did a quick double talk on you and got you back into works righteousness. And now you are falling on your face again and again and again because you do not know the power of the gospel. Oh, my. My heart breaks when I see my brothers and sisters trying to live a life in their own power. 
it breaks. Because I know the result of that. I've been there. I tried that. I bought several of the shirts. I know what it's like. And you cannot be successful there. You cannot. But in Yeshua, when you realize this high priest who goes before the Father 24-7, 365, for everything you're dealing with, when you realize that, that you're not alone, that the Yeshua himself is saying, Father! Oh, yes. oh my. Then you go, why am I allowing these sins to dwell in my life? Paul wouldn't tell you to get rid of them if there wasn't a way to do it. What a waste of time would that be? What if Paul said, well, you really can't get rid of them. I'm going to tell you to get rid of them. <laughs> Come on. That would be silly. That would be the worst. Oh, that would be a nightmare. Man, if, 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 if Paul came and said, you know, I was just joking. You know, you can't get free from sin, man. You can't overcome it. I just want to see you sit there and struggle. Say, that's not what he says. He says, if you're a Messiah, reckon yourself, count it as being true, that you are dead to sin and alive to God. That's the reality. Back to our faith, right? Back to believing what he says about us. And you know what? The world needs to see that in us. The world doesn't need more religion. They got plenty of that. I'm not very good at religion. I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not, I'm not good at religion. <laughs> I know it sounds strange, but I'm not. But I know about the God who gave me a son. And I know what he did in my life. And I know he's still doing that. And I know he'll do it for anyone who will come to him. Because it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter who you are. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Yeshua, I pray that you would make these things true to us, that we would know that they're true. That you would waken up our minds, Lord, to not compromise these truths. But that we would do what you said to do, bring every thought captive. That we would do with taking our minds and allowing them to be re renewed according to your word. That we'll make no more excuses for anything you call us to do, but we will trust that by your Holy Spirit, you will empower us to walk in newness of life.